Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the March 26th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thanks for joining. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are to describe common vaccine side effects and to describe the accelerated vaccine development process. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. And with us today, we have Dr. Lisa Samen, Professor of Pediatrics at Columbia University Medical Center and Hospital Epidemiologist at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Dr. Seaman is also the Program Director for E-Cystic Fibrosis Review COVID-19 Special Edition. This newsletter and podcast analyzes the current literature investigating if cystic fibrosis increases the chances of more severe disease and if the high degree of adherence to normal cystic fibrosis care is protective. What does the evidence say and how are these findings affecting clinical practice? Dr. Seaman also speaks directly with frontline clinicians about their experiences maintaining patient care in a disrupted healthcare system. Cystic Fibrosis and COVID-19, the data in the real world, available at eCysticFibrosisReview.org. Part 1 of Dr. Seaman's webinar on vaccines and vaccine hesitancy will begin now. Within the United States, we've distributed over 143 million doses administered about 111. So there is a gap between distribution and administration, which I know is a source of frustration, but is improving. And um, you can see in the figure, this incredible um, increase. This dip here, I'll call to your attention, is when we had very adverse um, winter weather conditions throughout the United States that made distribution and administration um, challenging. So there was a dip. But with the warmer weather coming on and improvements in supply, um, we should really see this um, continuing to increase. People ask about herd immunity, like how how many people do we have to vaccinate before we can go back to life as usual? And um, I want to introduce this term called community immunity, because I think it has a, a better image, personally for me, and I think that it also talks to us about how vaccination, while crucial for our own health and those of the people that we love and live with and work with, is also crucial for the health of our community. So um, we honestly don't know what the number is yet, um, but it means that very, very large numbers of people need to be vaccinated. Um, And I want to emphasize that um, this is really important because we are seeing an increasing emergence of the variant strains. So if we can get many, many, many people vaccinated, then there won't be any opportunity for variants to emerge. So the cartoon basically shows you non-immunized but healthy individuals who um, are suddenly um, infected by people. And you see here that the um, community is ill. 
um, once we start to immunize people, um, we can actually prevent fewer people from getting sick, but um, we don't have enough vaccinated people. So we have lots of red figures, but once we get lots and lots of people vaccinated, even if we introduce a couple of infected individuals like the cartoon demonstrates, we have far, far fewer cases. So very, very important um, to get lots of people vaccinated. One of the things that um, I think is very important is to normalize um, vaccine side effects. They are expected and they're not dangerous. Um, it's also important to recognize that we don't know who's gonna have a reaction to the vaccine. Um, some people have none, others do, and we often um, term the reaction as evidence of the process of building immunity, but you don't need to have side effects to have immunity being built. The most common reaction reported is soreness at the injection site, which is of course expected for any vaccine that we receive. And then the next most common are fatigue, headache, muscle aches, and joint aches. Fever is less common. And reactions are more common with the second dose and more common in younger individuals. For most people, these side effects are short-lived. They last a day or two, and they're relieved by Tylenol or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, it's not suggested that people take um, these medications before the vaccine side effects occur. Um, there's a theoretic possibility that taking them um, will blunt the immune response. So CDC does not recommend taking them prophylactically. Um, another side effect that um, has been of concern is the potential for hypersensitivity, allergic reactions, or anaphylaxis. But very fortunately, these have been very, very rare. Um, thus far, about five cases per 1 million Pfizer doses administered and 2.8 um, cases for Moderna. And the Janssen vaccine is obviously under study, but this is why we recommend that people are observed um, after vaccination. And also for this audience, it's crucial to become an educated advocate for the vaccines, for yourself, for your family, for your colleagues, and for your patients. So again, this concept of all of our community. So the next several slides go over the 10 common worries and concerns and greeting these with facts. Um, I was told by um, someone not to use the term myths. There was a sense that Use of the word myths actually meant that I wasn't taking people's concerns and worries seriously enough. And then the other thing that um, we've been urged to do is use facts, not, not politicize our responses to people's worries and concerns, but really give them facts. So the first concern that I'm sure you've heard about is that people worry that the COVID-19 vaccines contain the live SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 and could give the person getting vaccinated COVID or they could infect their family. And um, none of the vaccines that we use have live virus. They only contain the sequence that makes that spike protein. Um, so this is non-viable and, and cannot cause a live virus and cannot cause an infection. The next worry that people have is that the COVID vaccines were developed too quickly and that shortcuts were taken. 
um, there is a little bit of an unfortunate connotation by the term warp speed. So people worry that they may not be safe. So um, the slides I'm sharing with you were developed by uh, my institution to talk to people about the way that vaccines are developed and then what is usually happening in the world of vaccines, but, but how we were able to move so quickly for um, our COVID-19 vaccines. So traditionally, historically, vaccine timelines can be 15 years or longer. And so the timeline is that there are many, many years of research followed by um, a phase one trial that's conducted in a small number of people. And this audience is very, very familiar with clinical trials. So this is the original safety profile as well as a dose finding study. Then there's a couple of year phase two trial conducted in a larger number of um, volunteers, smaller number of doses or only a single dose starting to look at efficacy. And then finally, the very large randomized multi-center placebo controlled usually phase three trials that take two to three years. Then there's an FDA review and the CDC review and, and that can take a, a few years. And then this is when the vaccine manufacturer, having gone through all these phases, takes on the um, financial um, responsibility and accountability of developing the vaccine, only when they know that um, the vaccine has been approved. So let's contrast that usual pipeline with um, what happened for our COVID vaccines. So the first is that um, years of research for other vaccines laid the groundwork. So we had already been developing vaccines for the original SARS-CoV-1 with messenger RNA. There's actually an adenovirus vaccine using the exact same technology for Ebola that's currently even in use for two smoldering Ebola outbreaks in the Democratic Republic of Congo and in Guinea right now. And there, the messenger RNA vaccine technology has been under development for two decades. I'm an infectious disease doctor, as you know, and I can remember um, when I was going to various symposia and um, hearing about this emerging technology. So the messenger RNA for SARS-CoV-2 was developed on that backbone. Then phase one, two, and three trials were launched at the same time in parallel. So that data from phase one would inform phase two, but all of the infrastructure to um, have IRB approvals in place, contracts in place were being done in parallel so that if there was a go at the end of each of the phases, the next phase could begin incredibly quickly. Next, production was the cost of production and responsibility for production was actually undertaken by the government. So that even manufacturing was occurring during the early phases, which meant that if the vaccines were not proven effective, those drugs, those vaccines would have had to be discarded. There was also a prioritization by FDA and CDC to review, and I was a witness to the incredible diligence that our um, FDA and CDC undertook working um, very, very long days and weekends in order to conduct thorough efficacy and safety reviews so that we could receive emergency use authorization. 
Dr. Saman, thank you again for that invaluable information. As a quick reminder, you can read the newsletter or listen to the podcast of Dr. Saman's E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, COVID-19 Special Edition, by clicking on the link in the resource list window on ON24 or going to eCysticFibrosisReview.org. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.